And I remember one on one of their early albums, uh, they had a song called My Throat is an Open Grave. And I remember reading that and I'm just kind of being like, oh, listen, tell you what, death metal going to death metal. You know, I was like, these bands <laughs> love to be dramatic. And then one day I was reading the Psalms. I don't know where it is, but that is a that's directly out of the Psalms. That verse, really? My Throat is an Open Grave, that comes directly out of Scripture. Okay. Okay. One, two, ready, go. Welcome to the Called to be Bad podcast. My name is Mariah Martin, and I feel called to be bad. It turns out I'm not the only one. Join us as we dig into all things bad, scandalous, deviant, you know, the stuff that makes good church folks squirm in the sanctuary. Why? Well, because sometimes the scandalous is spiritual, deviant is divine, and bad is beautiful. Say yes to the call, and let's see what holy trouble we get into today. Hi, Kaylee. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Mariah. Thank you. It's good to be here. Why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your current pastoral context? Yeah, so I am originally from the Midwest, from South Dakota, but I am pastoring in Reedley, California, um, at First Mennonite Church, which is a church with two congregations, an English and a Spanish congregation, and that is one part of my pastoral ministry. But um, I also am the chaplain at the Sierra View Retirement Homes here, which is the Mennonite Retirement Home, and I am one of the directors um, up at Camp Keola, which is our camp. And so when I think of my pastoral context, I feel like it also includes those things. So I kind of juggle depending on the day um, what I'm doing, but that's kind of the wheel of what I'm doing around here. You've got a whole handful of, of contexts there. Yeah, I do. I moved out here really just with the pastoring thing and, and then other things opened up and I kept adding it until I had to start saying no. So it's been it's been really good. Um, switching gears a little bit, uh, have you or how have, I assume most pastors struggle with the notion that they're doing their job good enough. Uh, how have you struggled with your sense of being good enough? Um, and what is your sense of what makes a good pastor? Mm. Yeah. You know, I talked a little earlier about resisting the, the job or title of pastor. And mm. it's not because I didn't like pastors. It was because I think that it was an, it's an intimidating mantle to put on. Sure. Um, and there is kind of this idea of, pastor is kind of somehow stoically distant and removed and the shepherd of the flock. And this is the person that, that has the answers for everything um, and has some kind of special, some kind of special communication with God that other people just haven't been able to obtain. And um, I find kind of in our modern context, that's not who I was, and have found that that's not what my peers in particular are looking for, really, even in a pastor. And so I think because I never really wanted to be the kind of typical pastor, or what I saw as a typical pastor, I needed to be coaxed along the way. And every time within ministry, I have been asked to kind of take another step forward into kind of pastoral ministry, it was always with a with the understanding that this is me. If you like the way that I have been 
if this is what you like, I can give you more of this, but I cannot be um, something that I'm not. So as long as you're okay with your pastor um, being a little bit more informal and being a little bit more goofy and being a little bit more honest about when I don't have the answers, um, if you find that refreshing and life-giving and that is something that you want in your church, then then I can be that. So I think I have asked the people around me all the time, whether that's good enough for them. And so far, um, it has been. Um, I think, yeah, like I said, I think people's expectations of what a pastor is and what role they want them to play in their lives is changed drastically. And I, I see that quite a bit from my work <laughs> at Sierra View to my work with, with youth. Um, I think in a lot of ways, um, I maybe confound the people at Sierra View as far as their traditional understanding of what a, a chaplain would be. Um, first of all, I'm, I'm quite a bit younger than most chaplains. And, and second of all, I just, I'm not a very, I'm not a stoic pastor type. And I think both residents and workers have just kind of had to, had to kind of uh, adjust it and wrap their mind around what does it mean in our modern world um, for a, a pastor to, what does it mean to pastor today? Mm -hmm. um, I, when it comes to the characteristics of pastors, you know, I, I, I think pastors are servant leaders. Um, I love Henry Nouwen's idea that pastors are wounded healers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think that we are, we're meaning makers. We help people understand what is the point? What is the meaning? We help connect the dots for people and sit with them and listen to them, talk things out out loud. I think we're curators of hope. We are help to identify where the hope is in the world and how we can connect to it. Um, believing that, you know, God at the end of the day is a God of hope and that is always redeeming and restoring. And none of those things necessarily have to be kind of suit and tie behind a pulpit. All of those things can take different forms. Um, and I think I'm a prime example of that. If you were expecting a suit and tie preacher, that's pretty disappointing. But I haven't found a lot of people that have walked away on account of that. So, yeah. When I did my ministry inquiry program, it, um, I did it in, in Oregon and I had a host family and I went to meet the host grandparents and I told them that I was doing this pastoral internship and they were, they were uh, probably in their 80s. They were just like flabbergasted by me. Um, you know, when they would offer people wine with dinner, they were just like, you're going to drink wine too? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, got to know them. And, and at one point, um, the, <laughs> my host grandfather, I guess you would say, he's, he just like looked at me and he's like, I, I know you want to be a pastor, but you're, you're just so human. And mm -hmm. I was like, yes, I, I am. <laughs> like, I think his, his view of pastors was kind of like what you were saying, this kind of suit and tie stoic, um, I don't know. I'm picturing like a robot that is just like spitting out Bible verses. And, and we do, we don't, we do not fit that type. Um, yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we kind of defy this, this kind of hierarchy. And I think we tend to think that like, oh, hierarchy, that's kind of more of the system within the Catholic church. But I think even in the free church tradition, um, there is an, 
or, or even at work when I'm talking with my my coworkers, some of whom go to church, many of whom don't, um, a lot of the comments that they make are, are just kind of this assumption that I have a closer relationship to God than they do. Yes. <laughs> that uh, some people in life are just more in tune with the divine and those people become pastors. And um, I guess it would be one of my missions to encourage people that there is to not draw this line between the secular and the sacred, that yeah. if we are created in the image of God, we are sacred beings that are always reaching out to, to want to, to know more and to be, to be full and to be whole and to ask deeper and bigger questions. And all of us are able to live into that. And I'm very glad for the vocation and the occupation, which pays us some to, to be able to have the time to do the kind of reading and discussing um, that other people don't have the time in 40 hour work weeks, you know, um, so that we can kind of help, maybe help them think about things that they haven't thought about before. But I don't think it's because I am qualified in a way that another person is not. I think I pursued this vocation in my life because I'm passionate about it. Not everybody is passionate about getting theological, and that's fine. Um, but I do think that um, that boundary between the ordinary and the extraordinary, <laughs> um, we need to we need to work at breaking that down. I think to really enjoy life, you need to be able to find the beauty and the surprise and the mystery and the very ordinary things in life. Yeah, preach. <laughs> I love it. Um, so do you know Sarah Bessie as an author? Writer? I do not. Okay. Um, she's a she's a writer I appreciate. She um, does the Evolving Faith um, conference every year. It used to be with Rachel Held Evans. Um, anyway, she will often ask people this question that I just love. And um, it is, what is saving your life right now? And it could be as little as like Sarah loves um, Schitt's Creek, the show. Uh -huh. So like sometimes she'll say Schitt's Creek is saving my life right now. Um, <laughs> or it could be super profound, you know. Um, yeah. Anything come to mind? Mm. I think when I am off the clock, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I I try to surround myself with people who are curious, um, um, who are joyful, who see the wonder of, of life. And I love kind of bouncing off of those people. I feel those attitudes are contagious and they help spark that own part of me. Mm -hmm. I feel there's a lot of other times during my job where I have to contemplate the weighty and the heavy things, but I always... I always make time for the the lighthearted things. That's a very a very important part of my personality. It's not all of my personality, but it's an important part of it. Mm -hmm. So those people are very life-giving to me. Um, in the same vein, uh, I love dancing. I've been doing social dancing since college, swing, and since I moved out to California, salsa. And the pandemic has been really hard in that regard. Um, because I think our culture values um, efficiency and productivity. 
And there is nothing less efficient and productive <laughs> about your energy than dancing when you think about it. After an hour, you're exhausted. And it's like, well, what did you do? You didn't, you know, you didn't get from point A to point B. You were basically within this same 10 feet here. And now you're exhausted and sweaty. And what was that all about? And for me, that is almost defiantly taking a stand against all of these things in life that say life needs to be productive and serious. And I love uh, that. Combating capitalism through dance. Exactly. Sounds and like so, a you need to write or blog post or something. It's not a, um, you, there's no social dancing right now, but I, uh, I decided to look online for some solo jazz dancing. And so I found an instructor that is somewhere in Europe and I subscribe um, to her and I would say three days a week for about an hour. Um, I dance in my kitchen and I'm learning. I am continuing to learn. That's an important thing for me to, to be able to continue to learn and to have a goal um, and to maybe come out of the pandemic a better dancer than, than when I went in. But I am, um, every time I think, yeah, you know what, you, you're probably getting pretty good at this. And I record myself and I'm like, oh, no, maybe not for public consumption yet. But at the same time, uh, I've had dance pr professors that have said, you know, if you um, if you can walk, you can dance. And if you're having fun, you're doing it right. And so I've kind of taken that to heart. And um, yeah, that's been that's been an outlet during the pandemic, especially. Uh, I make myself do it on days that I don't want to do it. And um, on days that I enjoy it, that's just a gift. But um, those things, those small things enrich my life. Yeah, I love that. That's kind of an example of the type of things when I talk to people, um, I want to know what is it that makes you feel alive? Mm. And especially with, with youth, I think we work really hard as we start with the traditional structure of church and we say, okay, how do we get people excited about this? Right. And the reality is there's a lot of people that you can't strong them into getting excited about something that was meaningful to their grandparents or their, their parents even. Um, a much more helpful place to start, in my opinion, is to talk to people and say, what makes you feel alive? <laughs> um, and let's talk about where is God in that? So I think it's time for uh, the segment of our show that I am as of now calling um, Bad Pastor Tea Time, where we right. drink tea and uh, spill the tea. Oh, no. Um and talk about a controversial topic that I have not warned Kaylee about what is to come. But all right, you know when you work when you work with uh, young people, you realize that there's no question that's off limits. I find it refreshing. So that's give true. Your best shot. Well, shoot! Now I feel like I should have picked something harder. Anyways, um, <laughs> so I know that you are very passionate about music, and nice. Kaylee and I talked one time about how every person has this really odd, oddly specific niche topic that you know a scary amount about, or you have a gross amount of books about this <laughs> one topic. And I happen to know that Kaylee's topic is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's uh, metal music and Christianity. Is that, mm. is that right? Or did I mess up the genre? What, what, what would you call it? No, definitely. I would say the kind of the metal and the hardcore scene of uh, and where it intersects with faith. Okay. 
Um, I should have mentioned before, but um, for those listening and not watching on Zoom, I have a really adorable blue mug with a bunny on it, and I'm drinking Black Current Beauty Pukka, P-U-K-K-A, Pukka Tea. And what are what are you drinking today, Kayla? Yeah, um, so I'm at the church. I'm in my church office right now, and I grabbed the most boring mug because it was not crusty. Everything at the church, since nobody is in this building, is just a little bit crusty right now. And so this was the this was a clean mug. And uh, our cupboard uh, was quite something to explore, but I found some vanilla chai. So cheers to you, Mariah. I feel like there's some deep metaphor there about the the, the church that's a little bit crusty. I don't know what it yeah. is, but there's something there to be <laughs> church. Hello, beloved baddies. A quick break to tell you that this episode is sponsored by the Center for Art, Humor, and Soul, a nonprofit that supports and amplifies the voices of edgewalkers through art that catalyzes change, laughter that brings us together, and soul awakening to the creative spark within us. The support from the Center for Art, Humor, and Soul has meant the world to this podcast. So I highly encourage you to check out their website, arthumorandsoul.com, to see their other featured artists and projects. If you want to support the podcast, you can check out our Patreon or get in touch. Now I'll let you get back to this episode of Called to be Bad. Anyways, okay, back to music. So, so... Um, sorry, say again, what, explain your love of music and Christian spirituality. Yeah, um, I found when I was, when I was younger, um, I grew up listening to oldies with my parents and the best of the Beach Boys and this, that, and the other thing, while my friends kind of went through their, uh, Corn and Lincoln Park and and uh, Marilyn Manson and all these other all these other harder bands and then all of a sudden towards the end of high school all of my friends started like they got out of that and started listening to indie music mm-hmm. um, and ironically my tastes only got heavier in music um, and I kind of assumed that that was a phase and that sooner or later I also would mellow out and would be listening to more bluegrass and folk and indie and it hasn't been the case I actually. Um, my tastes have got and music have gotten heavier and heavier over the years, and I have asked myself a lot, why is that? Because a lot of this music, a lot of people say, well, that's just because that's for kids who are rebellious and are trying to get back at their parents, or they're trying to stand out in some way. And I don't really have an axe to grind. I had a fairly normal childhood. I'm fairly comfortable in my own skin. So uh, I think in the last couple of years, I've been working um, a little bit at a time on this research project project of why is it that it uh, that it's so compelling to me mm-hmm. and realizing that um it that within within christian lament um that hardcore music actually serves as a a really good vehicle mm-hmm. um for lament for authentic um cathartic lament and not all of the music is that. <laughs> Most of it isn't, you might argue. But within it, there are um, there are a lot of things that are. Um, there's a lot. Let's say there's a lot of reasons why the bands that have crossed over between secular and Christian the most historically are hardcore bands. Hmm. And I think it's because of their level of authenticity and their willingness to talk about dark thematic 
things. Um, and to give an avenue for people's rage, people always know when they want to praise, they can turn on Caleb. But for a long time, um, there was nowhere to go when you were feeling angry at God and when life was falling apart and you just wanted to say it like it was, uh, you were kind of just supposed to hold that in because it wasn't faithful to, to express that. So I think I've been trying to explore what are the elements within music of this kind that are redemptive mm -hmm. and how can we separate that which is not from that which is. I love this side of you because as the as the kids on TikTok would say, I picture you as like a golden retriever boy, like <laughs> someone that just like has amazing energy and just like kind and generous and I don't know, gentle and fun. And then <laughs> like, I mean, you, you dance in your kitchen for no one else but just the joy of dancing. And then, and then to picture this angsty side of you where you're just like, no, it's not a phase, mom. I'm yeah. going to rage to my metal, hardcore metal music. Oh, I just, I just love it. I sometimes wonder if it isn't, um, if it isn't a good outlet for me. Um, I think pastors, um, pastors don't have the same space to be raw in the moment yes. that other people do. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we were taught wisely in seminary that you, you preach from your scars and not from your wounds. Um, you talk, you can talk about the things that you've been through, but you have to be a little bit more careful around what you're going through in the moment. And so, especially during, you could say like a dark time, like the pandemic, people are looking for hope and, and it is your job during the day to look for it and to find it. Yet at the same time, those of us who are pastors also have a lot of big questions. And we also like to shake our fists at the sky sometime and, and get grumpy with God um, and so this is, in a way, this is an outlet where I can go and I can be authentic because I really feel I don't want to, I'm not just a hope spewing machine. I also want to acknowledge where I see discontinuity and the lament tradition in scripture, um, as I've kind of been studying and once again, Walter Brueggemann's done a lot of important work there, which is to say, if you look at the Psalms and you look at some of the scriptures in the wisdom literature and the Old Testament, people, people really called God out and they did so because they expected a lot of God, because they believed that God was there for them and that God would take them through. And if they were being faithful and, and things were going wrong in their lives, that was, a, that was a reason to call God out. That was a sign of a healthy relationship with God. And so I think to have, to be able to give hope, I also have to be able to come to God and to say, this isn't right. This doesn't make sense. Um, you need to fix this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think there are spaces for doing that. And for me, the musical, uh, that music scene whether it's live concert or just in my in my own car at full volume, those are spaces for me to do that so that when I do need to turn around on a Sunday and come back and 
preach a sermon and say, where is the hope in this text mm -hmm. that I can do so without feeling phony? Yeah. Could you ever picture a space within worship where it would be appropriate to, to play some heavy metal lament music? There's, uh, I mean, if you go to Europe, there, there are some churches that do metal mass that will, that kind of have a darker metal edged theme to like certain Sundays. It's, it's fascinating stuff. Wait, did uh, you say metal mass, M-A-S-S -S, or metal Yeah, mass? metal mass, like, yeah. um. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. These churches that, you know, they bring in these metal artists and they fill these churches. <laughs> what? Um, yeah, I think worship spaces are very, are very sensitive. So anytime that you bring something radically different and you have to consider the effect that it has on, on everybody. Right. But I would argue that, um, when you go to some of these concerts, sacred spaces are created there and they're created in a, in a, in a, in a space in which it is expected and people came for that. Yeah. I've thought about, I want to eventually finish my research and publish and somewhere for something. And if I did something at church, I'd probably start with an evening presentation. So the people that were there Chose to be because they knew what they were getting into. I don't really want to drop any kind of, you know, screaming, screaming drop D. And it's, it would be, it <laughs> would be so people that really just came for hymns and hope and things. I know, but seeing people's faces if you did that would just be priceless. Yeah. Well, this Kaylee and I are both in the the. Anabaptist Mennonite tradition and I saw this meme of you know the Bernie Sanders meme that is going around everywhere of him sitting looking grumpy in a chair with these amazing mittens and I saw this meme that um, one picture was when Mennonites aren't enjoying a service and it's Bernie and then next to it is the very same picture saying when Mennonites are enjoying the service and right like yeah Mennonites you know, aren't very, um, what's the word? Expressive. The, yeah, the expressive worship, exactly. <laughs> so to, to picture Mennonites just losing their minds to heavy metal music or just Christians in general just floors me. I, I love that so much. There's there is a lot of comparis more comparison with metal music, especially if you get into concerts and mosh pits and that kind of stuff, that actually has a lot more in common with kind of the Pentecostal movement right. of people of, I mean, in a live concert setting, especially, it's it's very embodied. Yes. Um, in, a, in a way that would look um, very distressing to people if you were to do it, <laughs> to do it in church. But there is a certain kind of a, a release. And I think um, we live during a time when like, kind of reigning in and being in control of yourself is considered to be very socially appropriate and important. And, but you do find that it's kind of in those moments when you allow yourself to really let go and to lose yourself, that that's when you experience those, those transcendent moments. The uh, music is an outlet for transcendence in a world that is now very based in imminence of this idea that everything is scientific and rational and there's a good explanation for everything 
Um, things that way are more predictable. They're more steady. Um, there's a lot of wonderful things that have come to us through science and through logic and reason. Um, but it's interesting that human beings have adopted that very much in Western culture, and yet at the same time yearn for transcendence. They yearn to be taken out of their normal bodied selves and to experience something beyond. And some denominations um, do quite a bit of that in worship. Mm -hmm. um, Mennonite churches, most Mennonite churches don't as much. I think there is something very valuable about being grounded and not allowing your emotions to dictate everything. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, as somebody who is both a very rational academic person and also a very emotional person, I have found balance in my life by saying, in addition to what my worship and what I experience in kind of traditional worship services, I also supplement it with these sacred spaces um, that allow me to to experience that kind of transcendence as well. And I think a lot of my research is how do you allow yourself to experience those things um, in a safe way that <laughs> that's right. not just kind of worshiping, I don't know, getting overwhelmed by the senses and and mm -hmm. um, if if that's the only place that you find, God, then everything else is a life without God. I think that has always been my reservation okay. with um, worship services that insist on reaching euphoria in order to call it worship. And so uh, I am very skeptical and reluctant in a lot of ways to, to really push people or manipulate people into these moments. But when they come, when they come naturally, um, there, it's very beautiful and it's it's a very sacred experience. When I when I mentioned how Mennonites tend to be stoic during worship, I was thinking of more of a Westernized kind of white middle class Mennonite, right. church, not necessarily the you know a global Mennonite church, um, which I think we could learn a lot from Mennonites that don't necessarily look like us or come from our own cultural context. Um, yeah, that is. That's a very important point because even here in, in my own church, um, our Spanish service um, is very, it's very Pentecostal in that way. It's, um, it's very loud. It's very, in, it's very engaged. Um, a lot of, um, yeah, a high level of intensity. Right. Um, a lot of people that ex, um, experience experience God through the vulnerability of allowing themselves to kind of be yes. to be taken away by the presence of the spirit in that space. And it's really cool to have that within one church, to have both of those things. We do combined worship sometimes, and everybody gives up something in order to do a combined worship. Yeah. Um, but I really do like that both services have their own thing in which they can be completely themselves. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's it's really neat. Yeah, I think about that all the time, about how we have to have these spaces where we can get out of ourselves a little bit and have um, this at once embodied and also disembodied experience of, of divinity, of euphoric divinity. 
And I like what you said about how we we can't rely on that, but can we as a church create these these safe spaces where people can can lose themselves in in a world where staying in control is so enforced, um, whether it be explicitly or implicitly. Um, yes. So I love that you're doing that, that you're that you're pushing against that through through dance and through music. Um, the one question that I did have my my bad pastor tea time question in the line of, of music was um, how would you respond to someone who uh, said that rap or metal music or the music that you're talking about is um, demonic or of the devil? How, how would you respond to that? <laughs> Yeah, I think um, if you're looking for that, you can find that within the dark music, you know, of course. And so those are the those are the bands that, that make the headlines. And then a lot of um, people will associate certain images and certain yeah. themes with certain genres of music. Um, but there is a. The Bible is really dark yeah. as well. Yes, um, preach. And, um, like, I think about, uh, like, uh, Demon Hunter is one of my favorite bands of all time. It's a, it's a metal band, and I guess sometimes it's categorized under the genre of death metal. And when people hear death metal, they think satanic, mm -hmm. which the term for that is actually black metal. But um, <laughs> death metal... Genres, like subgenres, I, yes. I get so much joy out of that. I don't know. genres within genres. And, and the thing about uh, death metal is really just metal that thematically kind of ex explores death. And there's nothing wrong with exploring death. As a matter of fact, it's really refreshing that somebody out there is talking about the fact that all of us are scared of death and are traumatized by death. And if you can have a band that engages that subject matter, and then also embraces the silver lining, kind of like over half the hymns in the hymn book, over, sorry, over half the Psalms right, right, that's what are I lament Psalms. And a lot of them are very dark. And then in the last few verses, there is, but you are faithful. And so we persevere, that kind of thing. And a lot of the best dark <laughs> lament music um, that I find is music that will take you to that authentic space and then it will lift you out of that so that you're not dwelling in it because a lot of those bands also just kind of, they're really good at identifying the problem and not very good at giving you any solutions. And that's not very helpful. So the types of bands that I would tend to defend, <laughs> I think would be the bands that also um, are, are being really authentic and then also giving you something at the end to kind of rise out of. And I remember one on one of their early albums, uh, they had a song called My Throat is an Open Grave. And I remember reading that and I'm just kind of being like, oh, listen, tell you what, death metal going to death metal. You know, I was like, these bands <laughs> love to be dramatic. And then one day I was reading the Psalms. I don't know where it is, but that is a that's directly out of the Psalms. That verse, really? My Throat is an Open Grave, that comes directly out of scripture. And I think a I lot of these bands <laughs> are drawn are drawn into a lot of scriptural imagery. And there's obviously a lot of crucifixion imagery. The crucifixion, I mean, think about just how dark thematically Christianity is. Like our most holy days revolve around this a, a, a day of torture and death. Right. Um, and yet um, 
it, you know, growing up with it, it doesn't really shock us mm. anymore. Uh, you know, the communion is the blood and the body. And wow. um, when it is done right, um, it is really, it's a, it's a really an amazing space to kind of explore themes of light and darkness and hope and despair in a way that a lot of more cheerful contemporary music just can't go there. Like they're just not, the, the, the genre, the vehicle of the genre is just not capable of handling some of those themes. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I definitely wouldn't try to justify the entire genres, um, but I would say that within them, there are, there's really some amazing things happening. Great. Well, thanks for coming on, Kaylee. Thanks for agreeing to do this. And yeah, this has been wonderful. I've really enjoyed it. Cool. That's all for this episode of Called to be Bad. Keep being your bad, beautiful selves, and I will see you next time.